0: Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. We are going to get started with worship. Uh, we're going to lift our voices and I said i
1: worship you, I worship you. You are here, here healing every
0: heart.
1: I worship you, oh yes, I worship Promise keeper light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Oh, you are wait, make a miracle work, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Wait, make a miracle work, promise. Light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Mm-hmm. When make a miracle work, a promise keep a light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Yes, that is who you are. That is who you are. That is who you are. that is who you are, oh. Way make a miracle work, a promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are, mm-hmm, yeah. Even when I don't see it, you're working, yes. Even when I don't feel it, you're working, you never stop. You never stop working, no, you never stop, you never stop playing, oh, even when I don't see it, you're working, even when, when I don't I feel it, you're working, you never stop, you never stop working, you never stop, you never stop, you never stop working, Waymaker, way maker, miracle worker, Light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. We make a miracle worker, promise keep. Light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. That is who you are. That is who you are. It go like a vow that is tested, like a covenant
0: of
1: your love is enduring through the winter rain and beyond the horizon. With mercy for today, faithful you have been and faithful you will be Ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips. Your father be awful. Your kindness makes us whole. You shoulder our weakness your strength becomes our own, you're making me like you, clothing me in white, bringing beauty for ashes, for you will have your bride, free of all her guilt, and rid of all her shame, and known by her true name, and it's why I you will be praised, you will be praised, with angels and saints we sing worthy are you Lord you will be praised, you will be praised, with angels and saints Ever be on my list, your praise will. Ever be on my lips, ever be on my list, your praise will. Ever be on my list, ever be on my list, your praise will. Ever be on my list, ever be on my list.
0: You may be seated. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. If this is your first time joining us for our worship service, we are so glad that you are here. On your way in, you should have received a bulletin. On there you will find our connect card. If you are looking to get connected with the church, we encourage you to fill out that connect card so we can get to know you. If you have new contact information, please fill out that connect card so we can keep you updated. On the other side, you will find our prayer card. If you have anyone in your life who is in need of prayer, please fill out the prayer card or visit our website at ljcc.org prayer. On your way out, you can drop these cards off in the foyer or the box mounted on the wall. We hope you enjoy the rest of our worship service.
2: morning, everybody. Uh, You're probably getting sick of me, those of you who come here often. I've been here a lot uh, recently. Steve's out of, Steve's out of, uh, I think he's out of town. I don't know what he's doing today. He was sick a couple weeks ago, and I filled in for him then, but he's, uh, I think, officially out of town, hopefully having a nice summer break, which, happy summer, happy 4th of July, 2nd of July. We're almost there. It really marks the summer for many of us, and uh, so many memories, obviously, for many of us growing up. on a a great holiday. So I wish you and your family the best on this holiday, long holiday weekend. Uh, For us, summer is marked oftentimes by our kids' schedules, and uh, tonight one of our kids, our uh, middle uh, kid, she's our older daughter, gets home from camp. She's been at uh, a Young Life camp for the past five days up in Woodleaf, which is if you haven't been by bus, which I have, it's a 13-hour bus ride from San Diego, which I did not know the first time I went a few years ago. I thought, well, I don't know, three or four hours? How bad could it be? And uh, the day before, I took my son, when his first time at camp when he was in sixth grade, I was one of the volunteer leaders. And I, didn't, I don't know why, usually I'm pretty good at knowing uh, kind of like uh, what, what I'm getting into, and I like to know the schedule of things. The day before, I found out that we're meeting at the bus at 2.30 a.m., and I was like, man, we must be getting to camp early. And then someone says, you know you know how far it is. It's like three hours past Sacramento. <laughs> I'm like, Sacramento, California? It's uh, way, way up there. And I, uh, uh, begr- I mean, because uh, I'm a good dad, I went. Uh, I, I was actually locked in. I had to go. Um, and it was interesting, my experience being up there with my son, our oldest kid at that point, his first time away, even though he really wasn't that far away because I was there, Uh, He had a really uh, terrible week. Uh, As I would kind of check in with my wife, how's he doing, how's he doing? I I kept saying, I think he's having a rotten time, honestly. And it's interesting, and I'll kind of fill in the story there in a second. He was giving uh, his younger sister a pep talk. It was actually a a very rare, kind of nice moment between two teenage siblings the other day before she left because she was expressing how she didn't really wanna go and there's some friend issues that she was worried about. And my son turned to her and said, "Grace." You're gonna have the best week of your life. This is the absolute best camp. And I watched this like really sweet moment happen. And then I kind of looked at him like, really? Uh, And I didn't say anything because again, I was there the entire time. He had an awful week. Uh, uh, Every day for the first four days, he um, would not really participate. There was another young, at the time he was a sixth grader and it was a sixth through eighth grade camp. He was one of the youngest ones for sure. And he found another young kid was turned into his buddy, and they kind of just did their own thing most of the week. And they, of course, were invited to all the games and activities and all the events, but they just kind of kept staying by themselves, which is kind of out of character for him. And there was, I think, the third day, uh, the big thing on the calendar that the leaders know but the kids don't know, is that that day was going to be the mud pit day. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced a mud pit, but it is exactly what you would imagine a mud pit being, a giant f- field where for hours, someone stands there with a hose and turns the dirt into mud. And then imagine 450 middle school kids jumping into it. That's it. And my son, right before, about an hour beforehand, uh, stepped on a bee. And I saw him across the camp, and he's kind of like hobbling, and I could tell he's upset. Again, he's the sixth grade boy amongst a bunch of these older kids, especially there's like, I don't know, 20 or 25 eighth grade boys that are in our cabin with him. And so it's this moment for being a dad, obviously, and I go up to him, and he is very allergic to bees, not to the point of like emergency, but pretty close. He's been stung way more times than anybody should, and I see him, and I know what has happened, and we take him to the nurse, and as we're doing that, all the kids are going to get changed into what we've been told, wear the worst outfit you have that you don't mind throwing away, And I know what's coming, he doesn't. And he's very, very upset, very much in pain. His foot swells about three times the size. And then all the boys come in to check on him. Now, if you can kind of imagine like the boy who just got stung by a bee, who's in a lot of pain and all the other older boys coming in to give him like a pep talk, just imagine kind of the anxiety and the stress of that moment. And I'm the dad trying to navigate this, whispering in his ear, hey buddy, it's okay if you don't do this. And then all the boys are like, come on, girl, you could do it. Let's go. You could do it. Like, we'll carry you. And then he ends up going down, walking. It's about a half mile walk, and he's in a lot of pain. And when no one's looking, I can tell he's getting upset. He's starting to cry. And I'm now, you know, now I'm in full dad mode. I'm not the volunteer hanging out with kids. I'm in dad mode, making sure he's okay. And the entire time for the mud pit, there's a few times where he got in and then kind of got back out and just was intense pain all over his face. Now he's climbing through mud with this very swollen foot. And uh, eventually, thankfully, I got to kind of hang out with him the whole time. Like, guys, I would love to be in the mud pit, but I gotta help my son. Like, I'm all in on this, but uh, (laughs) I didn't bring the outfit that I don't mind throwing away. Uh, And that's kind of how it went for the first uh, four days out of five for the camp. And again, not participating, having a lot of pain, just, I think, dealing with some embarrassment, being the youngest kid. He's away, he's with me, but I'm not his mom. So he's just having a hard time. Uh, The last night, uh, there was this kind of, I think they called it prom or something, but every night had a theme at this camp for Young Life. And all the kids are dressing up. They're supposed to bring something that you could wear that's like what you'd wear to a dance or something. So uh, my son had brought this, um, uh, uh, like, sport coat. And for some reason, I just turn over, and I'm not kind of checking in on him. I, I, I look over, and he's wearing a sport coat with no shirt on underneath and he's got a backwards hat on, and somehow he found a pair of like cool aviator glasses. And all of a sudden, he's like, let's go, guys. And he turns to the 25 uh, eighth graders and starts marching up the hill to go to this dance. And so I'm like, okay, I'm just, I'm just following along, and, and I didn't really think it was a big deal. While he, when he gets up there, I can hear them, uh, uh, I hear him talking about something, and they're kind of like laughing, encouraging him. You should do it, Kayla, you should do it. Now, part of the backstory for this camp was that there's boys and girls at this camp. And there was one particular girl that the eighth grade boys in particular kept talking about the entire week. And you could imagine, well maybe you can't, you should not imagine what they would say in the cabin late at night when they thought we were asleep. So there's this one eighth grade girl and my son, I just watched this thing happen, my son walks up to her, again, sport coat, no shirt on, like he's Miami Vice, uh, aviator sunglasses, hat on backwards, and I actually have it on video, I didn't bring it because I don't want to embarrass him too much. But he uh, walks up to this girl with all of their kind of taunts like go do it. And he walks up to her and I, I found out later what he said. And he goes, "Hi. <laughs> all my friends want me to come and ask you if you have a boyfriend and please don't be mad." <laughs> and I see her, you know, I'm like 100 yards away and I see her just be like, "Oh, so sweet." And she goes, "I." And then he turns around fully rejected. Because he, he tells me later, she says, I do have a boyfriend, sorry. And uh, he walks back, and I see him with his arms down. And then all of a sudden, he puts his arms up to all the guys. And they just start cheering. And they pick him up and carry him into dinner like that. And now, three or four years later, he calls that the best week of his life. I didn't want to ruin and spoil her like, hey, buddy, it wasn't the best week of your life. <laughs> You had a horrible time, except for some reason, he managed to come to his senses in that moment and do something that you would see on a high school movie. And he became this legend for the next 24 hours. The older kids, I still know some of these boys, they still talk about that moment. I don't know what happened to him. I asked him, what got into you? And I remember him saying, I just didn't want to leave the week the way it was. I wanted the week to be different. I wanted it to be the best week of my life. Now, in reality, he got rejected by the hottest girl in camp. That's what happened. He doesn't remember it that way, though. He remembers it as the best week of his life. What we're going to talk about today is rejection. <laughs> Isn't that fun? <laughs> uh, failure, setbacks, roadblocks, struggles, challenges, pain, trauma, these things that we all go through in life. And what we're going to try to zero in on is how do we respond those situations because there's something about our perspective. There's something about how we think about what we're going through and what we've been through that is unique to the people who call ourselves disciples of Jesus. We actually have a unique approach to setbacks, to hard situations, to failure, to rejection, to uh, whatever doesn't go our way. We have a unique perspective, and so we're going to ask God to speak to us about that. How do we think about this, Lord? How do we think about the things that we want that don't happen. How do we think about loss? How do we understand ourselves? How do we understand you? How do we make sense of these circumstances and events that we've been through and put them together in such a way that we could say, this has been the best life I could have ever imagined? Most people don't go through life like that. Most people don't learn how to access God's power and presence through pain most people have horrible situations that have happened in their past and they haven't actually moved on time has not healed those wounds they're not stronger because of it and in fact you know that deep down they carry so much pain and it's just as present now maybe even more so now than it was than when it first happened we know that you can think about people that you know that carry pain, that have never gotten over it, that never forgave, that never learned how to uh, uh, deal with things, integrate things, heal things. And that is not what God has for us. God has something more. This series we're going to look at, that's starting this week. Let me get this right. What do disciples of Jesus do while doing everything else? What we're talking about through this series is uh, uh, looking back at the disciples of Jesus, looking back at those situations that they went through what did they learn about how to interact with God? Because all of those disciples went through horrible things, and yet they re- maintained a faith in God, an optimistic outlook and perspective that God was good, God was real, God was powerful and present and available to us just as much, even maybe even more so through pain and hardship and struggle. The Apostle Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. It's a fascinating thing and I just lost it. By the way, I, I, I've said this before, I could hardly see anymore, so now I need to read the Bible on my phone. I'm in the market for a large print Bible because I could hardly read it anymore. Uh, here's what the Apostle Paul said, a disciple of Jesus. Uh, five times I received the, uh, from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. I, do the math, that's 39 lashes. That's a, uh, it's a, a form of punishment where the, the assumption was if somebody was lash-whipped 40 times, it would cause death. So, uh, and that's kind of, maybe some surgeon general back in ancient Israel said that. So they all knew, if you don't whip somebody 40 times, that'll kill him. If you really want to punish him, do it 40 minus one, 39 times, and it'll be on the brink of death. It'll be awful. He got that five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I mean, once I'm shipwrecked, that's a tough night. Uh, I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move, I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my anxiety and concern for all the churches for you. I mean, Paul could have just been like, "I've had some tough moments." Uh, he could have just kind of wrapped it up and said, yeah, uh, yada, 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 Uh, I still trust God. He didn't say that. In this particular passage, he goes into great depth and no exaggeration of how much pain and turmoil and suffering he's he's experienced. And he was the guy who would say, consider it pure joy when you go through stuff like that. And we have to ask ourselves, is he nuts? Like, literally. Like, if you knew somebody who went through so much pain, so much hardship, been shipwrecked not once, but three times, been beaten, been without sleep, and they said, no, it's good. It's good. I trust God more. You would have to actually, like, reconsider their sanity. I wouldn't, at for, for, like, face value, trust someone who would say that. So what is the secret that he understands? What is it that he knows? And what we're uh, we're going to kind of go through this morning just for a few minutes is a chance for all of us to reconsider the moments, the experiences, the circumstances that have been particularly painful in our own lives, in your life. And in a few minutes, I'm going to lead us all in a form of prayer and reflection to ask God to help us reconsider and re-remember some of those things that we've been through. Because the disciples learned something. They learned a secret. It was something about perspective but it was also about their deep bond and relationship to the presence of Jesus that allowed them to think this way, to talk like this, to interpret things this way, to actually become stronger, better, closer. And so with that, would you pray with me as we ask God to speak to us? God, uh, we all go through hard things, you know that. And uh, so often, You don't spare us from these uh, hardships, from failure, from rejection, from pain, from loss. Uh, And yet, you talk about being with us. You talk about and and give us uh, great hope that we could uh, do things differently. And yet, so often our experience is not that. We don't feel like we triumph through hard things. We feel like we get crushed. And I, I pray, God, that you would help us to reconsider some of the stuff that we've been through Uh, that you would help us to uh, uh, figure out how to interact with you, how to uh, access you, uh, especially when we're going through deep things. And I know for many of us, uh, there are uh, painful memories, events, people from our past that are tucked away in dark corners And we've done quite a bit of work to avoid that pain, to escape that pain, to get away from it. And somehow, Lord, you're the one who leads us and guides us back to those places, not for more punishment, not for more pain, but so that you can do your work to transform it. So help us, God, help us to think about our lives the way you would. We pray this in your name. Amen. Uh, I was trying to think of uh, uh, illustrations of people that I know who've been really transformed by pain with God. Uh, I've been trying to think of, and I thought of many experiences that I've been through that I've learned later on in life, how to to, uh, invite God in. Uh, I spent a few years, every day for a few years, reading through the Psalms. I just had this uh, value for reading scripture every day, and I just kept uh, returning to the Psalms. It was a particularly uh, painful season, lots of hard things going on for a few years, and I just was drawn to the Psalms. If, uh, sometimes people ask, like, where do I go in the Bible? It's so overwhelming, uh, especially to try to understand how to interact with God. Uh, Psalms have been a, a source for me that might be a source for you, too. What I've seen in the Psalms, these people writing songs and poetry and expressing these really painful situations they've been through, And uh, there's often, there's a bunch of them, like over 70 of them uh, out of 150 Psalms that are actually pretty negative if you read them. It's like if I was doing a branding audit of God in the Bible, I would say, hey, let's let's go search uh, the messages out there in the world that are kind of negative, like the negative critiques, the Yelp reviews that are one star. And let's figure out if we can kind of like scrub that a little bit. But if you look in the Psalms, you see complaint after complaint at God over painful things people have been through. Where were you, God? Uh, I didn't see you, God. You're not powerful anymore, God, like uh, over and over and over again. And so after a while, I started to ask the question, why, if I believe, which I do, that God allowed these particular passages uh, chosen intentionally to be in there, why would he pick those things in there? And it seems like the difference to me is uh, he wanted them in there because he wanted to give us an example, a template of what it looks like to be faithful, uh, people who are trying to avoid pain and avoid themselves and avoid God don't talk to God about anything. They actually try to avoid it at all costs. They try to stuff it away. They try to pretend like it doesn't exist. They try to wrap it up in like little uh, pithy sayings. Uh, and, and, and they don't talk to God about things because if they were, it would be too overwhelming. There'd be so much pain. There'd be so much uh, emotion. And that can be kind of like uh, going too close to the flame. And so they just avoid it. But in the Psalms, you see uh, writer after writer talking about these situations to God. And many of them, not all of them, but many of them, as they write it, we don't know if they wrote it in a moment or years, but you see the progression is, uh, in these, these poems and these songs of somebody dealing with pain, talking at God, sometimes yelling at God, and then uh, eventually getting to the place, but but you, God, are with me, but you, God, are still good, but you, God, are powerful. And I see this template of invitation uh, of true resilience coming through the path of bringing these situations to God, inviting God in, being honest with him about our deep emotions. I was trying to think of, uh, again, I, many experiences that I've had, but I, I was thinking about my wife quite a bit. Uh, we've had, we have three kids, uh, but her, her pregnancies were particularly unique. And everyone, uh, I I think it's fascinating to hear pregnancy stories, labor stories. Everyone's got an interesting, I mean, it's I think the most miraculous, amazing thing in the world. So hearing people's stories are are powerful, Uh, but there's no way that she should have kept uh, trying to have babies. Uh, You guys have heard of kidney stones, right? Uh, She and every uh, pregnancy also had kidney stones. I forget what it's called, but some condition where she was uh, stricken at some point with intense pain, and her kidneys would uh, overdevelop calcium or whatever and these deposits of kidney stones. And the great debate has always been, what's worse, a guy with kidney stones or a woman in labor? And she's like, oh, they both suck. <laughs> They're both awful. They're both terrible. Uh, she had to have a stent placed uh, once in surgery, which I didn't know this, uh, but when you're, uh, when you're pregnant, they can't put you under uh, for anesthesia. They give you an epidural, and uh, so you have to be awake during surgery. Uh, so she's been through intense pain, particularly in our second uh, baby with Grace. There was one night where she was out one night, and it was a, a real weird experience for me. If you ever read the book, The Shack, it's this, uh, uh, this story about a, a man who loses, tragically, his daughter. And I was reading this book, The Shack. My wife was out six months pregnant. I was home with the baby, and it was kind of a rare night for her to be out, six months pregnant, also with a like, little two-year-old. But she was with her college friends and someone's birthday, and none of our friends had kids yet. So they were like, let's go downtown. And my wife's like, serious? Uh, and we live in Rancho Bernardo. So she was, uh, long story short, out for a few hours. And I'm at home reading this book, The Shack, and just like reading this story of uh, loss and trauma and pain. And I, I never, I, I think it was one of the first times I'm like, I, I hope she's okay. I just had this like weird sense. I'm like, oh, my wife's okay. And I, I, no joke, no exaggeration. Right then my phone rings from her and I answer it and she's screaming for help screaming at the top of her lungs for help. And it was just one of the most surreal moments. She had come home, saw the side garage door open, winds into the garage, and there was a, a, a piece of lumber that had fallen, and she tripped and fell. And what we found out uh, a few hours later is that it was a spiral fracture of her ankle, ankle bone, which is a bad break, and six months pregnant. We found out uh, the next morning that she needed to have surgery, uh, a plate and screws. That was the second time she had had surgery while pregnant. Again, now this time, it's uh, it's a different kind of surgery to be awake for, where you hear stuff, and just intense. We had second baby, ended up, and I won't go too far into it, but had a couple miscarriages that were also uh, tragic and traumatic and dealt, for her, a lot of pain. And I just, you know, at some point she wants to have more kids. I'm like, I I don't know if the Lord wants us to have more kids. I don't know if God wants you to be pregnant. What I watched her do during those years was, like the psalmist in the Psalms, bring that to the Lord. I saw her in deep pain uh, ask God questions that I didn't think were holy to ask. Say things to God that I didn't think you're supposed to say to God. And she would say them, I, I watched her lean again and again and again, not once, not twice, but thousands of times. God, please. God, come. God, help. God, rescue. God, uh, for the safety and, and health of these babies, please. And uh, if, if you got to know her now, you would see that she's been transformed through that pain. You would see the depth of character, the depth of faith, the, the depth of hope uh, because she went through that. Now, I've been around other people who don't go with the Lord in that, and there, there's, uh, it, it kind of spins out oftentimes into bitterness, contempt, uh, hyper-anxiety, hyper-control, uh, 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 walking away from God if you're a person of faith. That doesn't have to happen that way, and I'm so grateful to watch her be the kind of person who would just lean in. When I think of someone who's resilient, I think of her. And the question comes back to us. How do we allow God in? Because, no question, no question no matter uh, how much runway you've got left, you're going to have hardship. You're going to have struggles. You're going to be disappointed. You're going to be misunderstood. Things are going to go your way. The hopes and dreams that you had won't happen. The goals you have won't be accomplished. Guaranteed, in this life, you will have troubles. What does it look like for us to be the kinds of people who don't just grin and bear it or spin out into contempt or anger or detachment or become people who just become numb. If you've, uh, I think oftentimes we talk about resilience and we think of someone that's just unaffected by things. That is not resilience. That's ignorance. That's avoidance. Real resilience is someone who's been through the pain and been changed by it. Uh, my son, a few years ago, uh, he was early on, he was playing baseball, and uh, baseball uh, was a love of his, it was a love of mine, I was his coach, and and this is a, a small light example, then we're going to uh, transition into prayer. Um, he was uh, kind of all of a sudden, he'd been hit by a couple pitches, and uh, uh, he'd all of a sudden become afraid of the ball, uh, for very good reason, by the way, regardless of all the parents yelling things that were so helpful, like just don't think about it. <laughs> Stand there with a hard projectile being thrown right at your body. Don't worry about it. I'm sure that other child has full control of where this ball is going to go. Uh, don't back out. Stand in there. Stay with it. I mean, and, and just a, a, an interesting thing to go through. And there's some kids who seem unaffected by hard projectiles being thrown at them. I, I call that strange now that I think about it. Uh, and yet we're, they're the ones that are like, look at him, look at Timmy. Timmy's been hit 12 times, and he doesn't back out. Well, Timmy's got something wrong with him. (laughs) Timmy needs some help. Uh, It's actually normal, uh, even physically, from a kind of nervous system standpoint, to actually get out of the way, of course. And my son was particularly bothered by this because he didn't want to fail. He wanted to succeed. He wanted to do better. He wanted to improve. And one morning, reading breakfast, and he had a, a, a rough game the day before, and I'd been learning to do things like not bring it up, you know, uh, like not say, hey, do you want to talk about your at-bats yesterday? I've been learning to do that. And uh, he just turns to me and says, Dad, uh, Daddy, would you, would you pray for me that I could learn to be unafraid of the ball? And that was out of, the, out of character for him. That wasn't something that he would like normally say, hey, could you pray for me? Uh, and I was kind of caught off guard. I said, yeah, sure, yeah. And then I thought, well, maybe I should have been bringing this up more often. Like, hey, God, we want to—I didn't, I didn't really thought of that as a prayer need, to be honest. I just thought it was something he had to work through. And it, we're finishing breakfast, and he looks at me, and he goes, hey, could we go outside right now? And, and uh, you pitched—I think he actually said pitch at me, but I heard him say pitch to me. And it was uh, the morning before school. And I was like, I don't know. He goes, I need, could you please, could we go outside? And I said, sure. And we go outside, and, and he's got a bat, and it's right in our front yard. And, and our front yard doesn't have, I mean, you should not be hitting balls in our front yard. There's cars and houses. And I was like, what do you, and he goes, I want you to pitch it at me, throw it at me. I want you to hit me with it. And he's standing there with a, with a bat and a helmet. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, hit me. And I'm like, are you serious? And I kind of like lob it and, it, and it barely, I don't even think it taps him barely. And he gives me the ball, throws it back to me, and goes, hit me with the ball. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I chucked it at him. <laughs> hit him. Right in the back. And then he like, you know, obviously does normal things. And he throws it back at me. And he goes, hit me again. And it wasn't like we weren't laughing. It, it was a ser- he was being serious. Hit me again. And then I'm like, okay. I throw it at him again. Hit him again. And I, then I put my glove down. I'm like, well, hit me. And then he chucks it right at me, and I, uh, I couldn't help it. I blocked it with my hand. Still hurt my hand. And for the next few minutes, I hit him five, six, seven more times. And we're walking in, and he's, what he says to me, he goes, I think God's going to help me become strong now. And there's something, There's something. I mean, it's kind of a silly light example, but there's something profound there that he was learning at 9, 10 years old that I think my wife was teaching him because he was watching her. When you go through something, when you're, uh, something doesn't go your way, when, when something's painful, you don't turn away from it, you turn towards it. You don't ignore it, you don't make these assumptions about who God is because your assumptions seem right and true and accurate. God's not here, God's not good, God must not care, God must not have the power. You actually turn to God with it. And he o- learned to overcome that. And so what I want to do is uh, I want to read just a real short passage of scripture. It comes from James chapter 1, and I'm going to read it uh, three times, and, and between each time and as I read it, I, I hope that we could be in a, a, a prayerful kind of vibe, reflective vibe. Um, I'm going to uh, read it three times relatively slowly and, and give us a, what we don't normally do in a, in a space like this. Give us just a few moments between each reading of, of quiet, of reflection, of, of silence for you uh, to, to invite God in into some of the stuff that might be coming up. And I, and I trust that the Holy Spirit, That uh, if, you, if you're a few weeks ago, we talked about the Holy Spirit coming alongside us as a counselor to remind us of the past. Uh, that's something that's, that's part of what the Holy Spirit does, to come alongside us and remind us. And, I, and so if you have a memory that comes up from your past, a face, a name, a person, an event, a circumstance, uh, I want just to encourage you to trust that that's actually God's Spirit leading you to consider that, to remember that, to reflect it. And as you have feelings come up, you might even feel things physically, again, trust that that's God leading you there. I, I, I would be surprised if any of us didn't have more than a few things from our past. The, the luggage that we carry, the backpacks that we have, the scars that we have that are still, are still there, still ripe, still painful, still gnawed us in the middle of the night, or when a holiday comes up. And I just want to encourage you that you're not done yet, and the Lord's not done with you yet. So here it is, uh, the first reading, in James chapter 1. He says this, uh, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may become mature and complete not lacking anything. I'm going to read that again, and this time as I read it, you might just notice a, a word or a phrase that, that kind of sticks out to you and uh, rings in your ears or in your heart. I'd just encourage you to uh, uh, stick with that. S- um, stay with that word. Maybe or even repeat it a few times. Inside your mind. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may become mature and complete, not lacking anything. I'm going to read it one last time and uh, this time, whatever that word or phrase is, just w- invite you as, as I read through it again to uh, reconsider that thing you're thinking about if there is something. That memory, that, that face, that name, that event, that circumstance. And take that word and, and invite God to give you something with that. To uh, help you understand it. Maybe even an invitation that God has for you. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. The perseverance finish its work so that you may become mature and complete, not lacking anything. This morning, we are uh, celebrating Communion, and uh, I think a particular focus or lens on Communion this morning is uh, the idea that Jesus, uh, the night before he was betrayed, uh, uh, in a a meal around his brothers, took bread, unleavened bread, that was just a normal communist at every single meal that they had and as they were uh, ex- uh, celebrating communion, this particular bread was unleavened bread, which was reminding them of God's rescue of the Jewish people in the past. God had saved them, rescued them from slavery, uh, freed them. And as he did with, uh, at that meal, he took the bread and blessed it and, and broke it in front of them and uh, he said this, this is my body which is given for you do this in remembrance of me. This idea that uh, he knew what was about to happen. He knew what he was going to step into. He wasn't avoiding pain. He was going straight into it. And he wanted them to remember the moment and remember the the conscious decision that he was making to go into pain on their behalf, on our behalf. So that when we would do this and get back together again, that we'd remind ourselves of the same tempo, the same invitation. Uh, It wasn't just for Jesus, it's for us to go straight into the pain with God's power, with God's presence. And later on the meal, he took the cup and he said this as he blessed it, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. He chose to suffer. He chose to walk into it. Not so that when we go through hard things, we could avoid it or escape it, so that we could go there as well. And we would know that he is there with us. So as we uh, uh, come to communion and come to the, the table uh, this morning, what I would encourage you to do is bring that pain that you carry. Bring that awful circumstance that you've been through. Bring that to God. Tell him about it. Talk to him about it. Invite him into it. And see what God's spirit will do. God, we pray that you would help us to have the same courage That you had the same perspective to believe the same things about you that Jesus did. That you were good, that you were real, that you were with us, that your power is accessible. And that you will turn all bad things into good. So we bring ourselves to you. We bring our painful events. We bring our pain to you. And ask that you would have your way with us. In, uh, in light of the content message this morning and in light of Independence Day, just want to remind you that it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. So stand firm then and do not allow yourself to be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.